2: We're going to introduce, we failed to do this yesterday.
3: Some don't people.
2: bother, just don't bother waiting Didn't. for me. <laughs> <laughs> and you're <waiting> so long. <laughs> Sorry. You're, you're, come here, this is the balloons. Here, let me put this down, so creating a lot of noise. <laughs>
4: Sophie is going to introduce us. Oh, I am. Hello, I'm Sophie. Uh, Voice Hello. challenge, Sophie White, thank you. This is Jen, O-D-W-Y-E-R. Hello, you may have gathered from her um, guttural whinge tones. Aww. And this is Cassie Delaney. Doesn't have a nickname.
2: Doesn't what? need one. <laughs>
4: um, Cassie isn't a molester. Um, no. Would you like to tell the people about your costume? Uh,
2: I am like these two lovely women in the front no, row. No. Lord Chair Larry.
4: Yay. Yeah.
3: Long time and time. I actually
4: thought it was a Succession reference and that you were Mo
2: Lester. To have watched Anyone it. watched it?
0: Yes. Um, Four
4: people, yes.
2: But now that we've done the reveal, I can take off the moustache because it really wasn't, it's not a two-day moustache, it doesn't do a good stick. <laughs> you were fiddling yourself so hard last night. Yeah, it was, it was hard. It was, hard yeah, it night was distracting. Oh,
4: no. um, do we have any spare seats in the, there's some there yeah, and the can everybody hear okay?
3: There's, There's one, one
4: there. To, like, it's okay. to move the seats if you'd like.
3: There's a piano stool as well
4: over here, lads. Are you cool? OK. Oh, my God. They're like, we're good. Don't make her come down here. OK. So I've got a Creep of the Week to kick us off. Does anyone not know what Creep Dive is, by the way? Oh, yeah. oh yes. I yes. Oh, my God. And you're scarily close to us as well. <laughs> So the Creep Dive is a podcast where we talk about home decorating and <laughs> like upcycling your interiors. No. A lot okay. Of so it's it's kind of like the weird wild web and stories behind the headlines. You know, the kind of half remembered story that you remember but you have a real life and things to do so you didn't spend 6 hours researching it. Cassie Jen and I will do that for you. <laughs> Welcome. Okay. Um, so, <laughs>
2: Jen, no back in your box,
4: you can abuse them in the studio when they're not directly beside you. Everyone, feel free to turn on Jen as much as you need. She needs Now's to be the time for critical feedback. <laughs> yeah, everyone can do their iTunes review no, live oh. to our faces. Ah, <laughs> um, okay, I've got a creep of the month because this is a couple of weeks old. Um, but uh, the headline is uh, farmers kept refusing to let him have sex with their animals so he sought revenge
2: <laughs> oh, oddly similar to last night's creep i know
4: like there's just so many
2: to my territory i
4: know i felt like do you want this
3: i've already i already <laughs> know about
4: it about no anything. do you yeah. about the guy in craigslist yeah. There's actually several references to last night's show because last night's show, we learned a lot more about Craigslist than we thought we really wanted to know mm-hmm. and also about lion wanking,
3: courtesy of Jen.
4: Tune in on Friday to hear last night's show. It's well worth it. Um, he said never again after that lion wank that Lo- didn't lost, go great. He
2: lost his arm.
3: <laughs> yeah. it was but amazing. we had a
2: really good, healthy debate about whether he said never again because he Physically couldn't, or because. <laughs> yeah. Then I sad. said, what am or I as expect? in that ungrateful
4: lion <laughs> took my arm, you know. Oh uh, yeah. Okay. So and this guy basically has been targeting farms in a new, Jer- a peaceful uh, New Jersey community, um, for the last like month and stuff. Like he's at it. He's out there at it right now. He's got his list and he's going through the list, and so basically he's been delivering letters directly to the mailbox. Always, first sign of a red flag, no stamp on this. (laughs) Um, So asking about the possibility of forming a sexual relationship with horses, cows or other large animals.
3: Well, asking could
4: he? Yes, in his letters that he's hand-delivered to the farms. (laughs) And also, um, the farmers kept finding these homemade tyre slashing devices on their driveways. So he's both politely asking, but then also trying to intimidate slash harass. So he feels a bit like the Unabomber meets Mr. Hans (laughs) in that it's rudimentary homemade kind of gadgetry, but not a great guy either. Okay. So anyway, um, now basically authorities are saying that they think it's all the work of the same man and his name is, Well, he's been named in the Washington Post, so I can do it here. Richard Decker, um, which obviously Dick 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 Dicker, I don't know. There's loads there to work with if you wanted to work blue, Um, which we would never do. Um, So basically, he has been lashing out at the people who have refused to let him have sex with their farm animals, and he's 31. Um, it doesn't say whether he still lives with his parents, but you just let him. I would, let him. <laughs> you let, I would him. let him
3: have the bigger animals.
4: That's what he's want. He only wants the bigger animals. Yeah. I mean. So what you're saying is, you just would say yes.
3: Well, to maybe to make him go away, I would say.
4: They're over there.
3: Yeah, I'll turn a blind eye. Far guy. from
4: me. I'm going over <laughs> here. You go over there. What well, if he really likes your cat? Cow! Okay. He just okay. Wants okay. To be in her oh my god, time. it's such a horrible cat visual there.
3: Him, like a saddle that would allow him to just be there and we we'll just pretend. We can make a polite chit chat of the milking.
4: With the <laughs> <laughs> so, unsurprisingly, many of the residents are not thrilled to learn that an adult man was interested in having a sexual relationship with their livestock. Um, and Decker hadn't taken the rejection well. Um, he started um, increasing his threats, uh, in one instance he threatened to beat a man's wife with a wooden stick, wow, very specific. Right. Um, he also, loved this, gone quite petty, um, wrote negative online reviews of their businesses. <laughs> <laughs> ah,
2: dick dicker. They're damning, they're cutting. I know they are, but it's just like that fucking
4: John Canoe guy coming back from the dead to fucking try and stop the planning permission of the neighbours. Do you remember him? John Darwin. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Um, So anyway, um, they did issue a warning a few months ago to anyone who has a farm like property, which is kind of unnerving, like (laughs) that. Dick Dicker's just getting real broad and he's like, there's a front garden and a back garden and a cat. I don't know. Um, and so they put a post on Facebook, the police department did, and apparently it was deluged with comments from people in the surrounding area saying that Dick Dicker basically had really cast the net wide and um, that, yeah, basically he'd been going after everyone's pets and livestock. Oh, my God. Uh, and they also, there was like confusion because he had the tire spiking scam on the side. So everyone was like, is he selling tires as well? <laughs> so I don't know. He seems like a bit of a low life. Um, so anyway, then in August, right, this woman called Caitlin, who occasionally leases out her horses to um, get funds for work she does with animal rescue. Oh, nice. Those um, so
3: people are always a little strange. So, <laughs>
4: the animal rescue people. Nice actors. people.
1: No, no, when they have
3: like a house that has a million oh. cats and they're rescuing them, but the horror that like they're, <laughs> like they're sort of love.
4: She was probably doing them as well. Uh, okay. <laughs> so, she had received several disturbing emails in response to her ad about her horses. So she'd put her horses up on Craigslist.
2: Of course.
4: Don't fucking creeps list. Just leave it alone. No one go there. It's a terrible place. So anyway, all three of the responses had come from the same sender who went by the alias Tacky Chaps, <laughs> which seems like they're sticky and sticky. chaps. Yeah. Um, so he said, this is one of his messages, quote, I know you're trying to sell your mare. But the reason I'm contacting you today is because I am attracted to equine. I find it hard to say and we talk about horse sex so much on the podcast. And I
2: would just like to clarify, the two of you talk about horse sex okay. so often on the podcast <laughs> and I am exposed You from. refrain,
4: okay. So would you please give me permission to meet and possibly have a sexual relationship with one of your horses? Which suggests that at least Dick Dicker wants to know if they're going to hit it off first, <laughs> which is nice. isn't So. And um, then I'm sorry if my request appears insulting. I'm honestly attracted to horses and I'm looking for a longer term relationship with one. But I have no place to home one myself. Thank fuck. I am a man in North Jersey and I would be very grateful if you would consider me for your horses. You'd Thank get, you. you get
3: like a Shetland pony into a pretty regular backyard A Shetland? Yeah.
4: He's into the big animals. Sorry. Yeah. He's, I, It feels like he's a bottom and he's looking for a top. Oh, my God. (laughs) Sophie. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I can't believe Dick Dicker is doing this and everyone's like, oh, Sophie, you're disgusting. Anyway, she found the messages sickening, um, but she didn't report them to the police, figuring they wouldn't be able to trace the sender. Um, But then when she saw all the kind of argy-bargy surfacing on Facebook, she was like, I think this might be the same guy. And uh, so it's actually ongoing at the moment. And um, you know, there's been many, many messages left, printed out, left in mailboxes, expressing an interest in quote, forming an intimate relationship with large farm animals, such as horses, ponies, cows, or similar. And um, asking the owners to quote, introduce me to the partner of my dreams. <laughs> I know. America. <laughs> <laughs> and some real sickos basically over there and uh it's
2: a craigslist again it just facilitates the creep it's the same as etsy
4: it's yeah i mean basically <laughs> wait well, they questioned him the police questioned him and
3: seven garbage <laughs>
4: <laughs> oh my god again though somebody could be a etsy person in the room
2: i so oh, <laughs> okay okay yeah. okay there could um, be someone here selling their sonograms on Etsy like last night. You can't keep referring to last night because none of these people were here. It's
3: teasing <laughs> it. It's teasing it.
4: <laughs> okay, so anyway, they the searched Dick Decker's house and they found um, homemade explosives, which is again, is very Unibomber of him and um, they...
2: Very d- Unibomber of him. Homemade explosives, just them? bombs for
4: the threat. Yeah, well, I think it was a part of his, like he was going to escalate and yeah, he's cyber harassing. Anyway, the court, the case is ongoing. So,
3: light a candle for a <laughs> candle.
4: spare thought. You know you can light a candle online. Oh yeah. Yeah. I, there's a website where you can light candles. It. Learned it? it. I'm getting up to swap out because. I'm going in. Are this you going? Because so you're a horror show, yeah, okay, 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 great. <laughs> and, uh, oh,
3: okay, button down the hatches. This is absolutely horrific.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Literally, no way. That to preface this, when Jen arrived, she said, I just read this over in the car and I scared myself again. <laughs> really if Jen says it's bad, it's going to be disgusting.
3: <laughs> Look, it's not, it's not animal sex related for once. What a treat. I know. <laughs> They're my favourites. Uh, this is different and worse. <laughs>
4: right, anyway, I don't
3: have a headline. Should I make one up on the spot?
4: D- that yeah. never. You only ever do. <laughs>
3: oh, fuck. Sleep? No. <laughs> Madness? Yes. <laughs>
4: oh, yeah.
3: Okay, click. Oh, I forgot I you were doing this that. to us. <laughs> right, are you ready? I'm going to read it because it has to be done properly. Russian researchers in the late 1940s kept five people awake for 15 days using an experimental gas-based <laughs> stimulant. Some of you know this story <clears> potentially <throat> from years ago. I've gotta retell it, I've forgotten it. <laughs> They're still depressed from the first I'm time gonna, they heard it. I'm you, gonna be looser with the facts. <laughs> I'm not sure about the facts for this one. Anyway, they were kept in a sealed environment to carefully monitor their oxygen intake so the gas didn't kill them, since it was toxic in high concentrations. This was before uh, closed circuit cameras, so they only had microphones and five-inch thick glass porthole-sized windows in the chamber to monitor them. The chamber was stocked with books, cots to sleep on, but no bedding. Ironic that. They weren't allowed (laughs) to sleep. Look, I think it's part of the torture, to be honest. Running water and a toilet and enough dried food to last all five for a month. So the test subjects were political prisoners deemed enemies of the state during World War II, presumably Americans. So everything was fine for the first five days. Subjects hardly complained, having been promised falsely, that they would be freed if they submitted to the test and did not sleep for 30 days. Their conversations and activities were monitored and it was noted that they continued to talk about increasingly traumatic instances in their past and the general tone of their conversations took a darker aspect on the four day mark. After five days, they started to complain about the circumstances and events that led them to where they were and started to demonstrate severe paranoia. They stopped talking to each other and began alternate, alternately whispering into the microphone and one, and one way, so they were whispering into the portholes and the microphone. So oddly they all seemed to think they could win the trust of the experimenters by turning over their comrades, they started to turn on each other, but just through words. The other subjects, uh, so anyway, okay, at first the researchers suspected this was an effect of the gas itself. After nine days, the first of them started screaming. He ran the length of the chamber, repeatedly yelling at the top of his lungs for three hours straight. He continued attempting to scream, but was only able to produce occasional squeaks. The researchers postulated that he had physically torn his vocal cords. The most surprising thing about this behavior is how the other captors reacted to it or rather didn't react to it. They continued whispering into the microphones until the second of the captives started to scream. The two non-screaming captives took the books apart, smearing page after page with their own faeces and pasting them calmly over the glass portholes. The screaming promptly stopped. So did the whispering into microphones. After three more days, researchers checked the microphones hourly to make sure they were working since they thought it was impossible that no sound could be coming out of five people inside. The oxygen consumption in the chamber indicated that all five must still be alive. In fact, it was the amount of oxygen five people would consume at a very heavy, stressful, strenuous exercise. So on the morning of the 14th day, the researchers did something they vowed they would not do and they, were, they attempted to get a reaction from the captives. So they used the intercom inside the chamber, hoping to provoke any response from the captives. They were afraid they were either dead or comatose. They announced, we are opening the chamber to test the microphone. Step away from the door, lie flat on the floor, or you will be shot. Compliance will earn you your immediate release. To their surprise, they heard a single phrase in a calm voice respond, we no longer want to be freed. Debate broke out amongst the researchers and the military forces funding the research. Unable to provide any more response or provoke any more response from the intercom, it was finally decided to open the chamber at midnight on the 15th day. The chamber was flushed of the stimulant gas and filled with fresh air and immediately voices from the microphones began to object. Three different voices began begging, as if pleading for the gas to be turned back on. The chamber was opened and soldiers sent in to revive the test subjects. They began to scream louder than ever and so did the soldiers when they saw what was inside. Four of the five subjects were still alive, although no one could rightly call them that in the state they were in. The food rations past day five had not been so much as touched. There were chunks of meat from the dead test subjects, thighs and chest stuffed into the drain in the center of the chamber, blocking the drain and allowing four inches of water to accumulate on the floor. Precisely how much of the water on the floor was actually blood was never determined. All four surviving test subjects also had large proportions of muscle and skin torn away from their bodies. The destruction of flesh and exposed bone on their fingertips indicated the wounds were inflicted by hand, not with teeth, as the researchers initially thought. Closer examination of the position and angles of the wounds indicated that most, if not all, were self-inflicted. Abdominal organs below the ribcage of all four test subjects been removed while the heart lungs diaphragm remained in place ah. the skin of most of the muscles attached to the ribs had been ripped off exposing lungs through rib cages all the blood vessels and organs remained intact they had just been taken out and laid on the floor fanning around the fanning around the blood water if they were still alive the digestive tract of all four could be seen to be working digesting food it quickly became apparent that what they were digesting was in fact their own flesh that they'd ripped off and eaten over the course of days. Jesus! I know. Most of the soldiers were Russian. Now, uh, can
4: everyone hear? Because you wouldn't want to miss even a morsel of what's coming out of her mouth.
3: I think it's going to get a bit worse.
4: Oh, my God!
3: How? But then, How? But then it gets better. so most of the soldiers were Russian special ops at the facility but many refused to return to the chamber or to remove the test subjects they continued the test subjects continued to scream to be left inside the chamber and alternately begged and demanded that the gas be turned back on lest they fall asleep to every surprise the test subjects put, put up a fierce fight in the process of being removed from the chamber one of the Russian soldiers died from having his throat ripped out and another was gravely injured by having his tentacles ripped off, <laughs> and an artery in his leg severed by one of the subject's teeth. Another oh my God! Of the soldiers lost their lives. If you count the ones that took their own life in the weeks following the incident, in the struggle, one of the four living sub- uh, subjects had his spleen ruptured, and he bled out almost immediately. The medical researchers attempted to sedate him, but this proved impossible. He was injected with more than ten times the human dose of morphine derivative and still fought like a cornered animal, breaking the ribs and arm of one doctor. When the heart was seen to beat for a full two minutes after he bled out to the point that there was more air in his vascular system than blood. fucking Even after the- <laughs> <laughs> he continued to scream and flail for another three minutes, struggling to attack anyone that went m- missing, anyone that went near, near him, just repeating the word more over and over weaker and weaker until finally he fell silent. The surviving three subjects were heavily restrained, moved to a medical facility. The two with intact vocal cords continuously begged for gas, the gas demanding to be kept awake. The most injured of the three was taken to the only surgical operating room the facility had. In the process of preparing the subject to have his organs placed back inside him, Um, they attempted to sedate him and he furiously fought against his restraints when the anaesthetic gas was brought out to put him under, he managed to tear most of the way through a four-inch-wide leather strap on one wrist, even though even the weight of a 200-pound soldier lying on him uh, couldn't hold him down. It took, little, hang on, it took only a little more anaesthetic than normal to put him under, and the instant his eyelids fluttered and closed, he died. In the autopsy of the test subjects that died on the operating table, it was found that his blood had tripled the normal levels of oxygen. His muscles that were still attached to his skeleton were badly torn. He'd broken nine bones in the struggle. Most of them were far from the force, or from the force of his own muscles, and had broken. He'd broken his own bones. Uh, the second survivor. Sorry, it's not funny. <laughs> <laughs>
2: there
3: seems to be so many of them. It's just. But there was only five. Anyway, the second survivor had been first of the group of the five to start screaming. Remember him? Mm-hmm. His vocal cords destroyed when he was unable to beg or object to sur- surgery. He only reacted by shaking his head violently in disapproval when the anesthetic gas was brought to near him. He shook his head yes when someone suggested reluctantly that they try surgery without anesthetic. Oh. And he did not react for the entire six-hour procedure. Oh. The surgeon presiding stated repeatedly that it should be medically impossible for the patient to still be alive. One terrified nurse assisting the surgery stated she had seen the patient's mouth curl into a smile several times whenever his eyes met hers. When the (laughs) (laughs) surgery, she's full of shit, honestly.
2: Of all the details in the story, that's the one. her. When, he the
3: sur- <laughs> when the surgery ended, the subject looked at the surgeon and began to wheeze loudly, attempting to talk while struggling. Assuming this must be something of drastic importance, the surgeon had a pen, had a pen and pad fetched so the patient could write his message. <laughs> he said, <laughs> keep going. Oh. The other two <laughs> test subjects were given the same surgery, both without anesthetic although they had to be injected with a paralytic for the duration of the operation. The surgeon found it impossible to perform the operation. Well, the patients giggled continuously. <laughs> it's getting silly
1: now.
3: <laughs> Once paralysed, the subjects could only follow their attending researchers with their eyes. The paralytic cleared their system in an abnormally short period of time, and they were soon trying to escape again. The moment they could speak, they were again asking for the stimulus. Stimulant gas. The researchers tried asking why they had injured themselves, why they had ripped out their own guts, and why they didn't want to be given or the why they wanted the gas again. And the only response was given, the only response that was given was, I must remain awake. All three subjects' restraints were reinforced and they were placed back into the chamber awaiting determination as to what should be done with them. The researchers, facing the wrath of the military benefactors for having failed the state of their project considered euthanizing the surviving subjects. The commanding officer, a former KGB agent, instead saw potential and wanted to see what could happen if they were put back under the gas. The researchers strongly objected.
4: (laughs) 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 Is this the origin story of the Backstreet Boys? (laughs) See potential.
3: In preparation for being sealed in the chamber again, the subjects were connected to an EEG monitor that had their, and had their restraints padded for long-term confinement. To everyone's surprise, all three stro- stopped struggling the moment it let slip that they were going back under the gas. It was obvious at this point all three were putting up a great struggle to stay awake. One of the subjects that could speak was humming loudly and continuously. The mute subject was straining his leads, legs against leather bonds with all his might. First left, then right, then left again something to focus on. The remaining subject was ho- holding his head off his pillow and blank- blinking rapidly. It's very, very like having a newborn. Every part of this story. It's so relatable. <laughs> having been the first to be wired for the EEG, most of the researchers were monitoring his brainwaves, the pillow guy. Uh, they, the, they were normal most of the time, but sometimes flatlined inexplicably. It looked as if... he he were repeatedly suffering from brain death before returning to normal. As they focused on the paper, scrolling off the brainwave monitor, only one nurse saw his eye slip shut at the same moment his head hit the pillow. Brainwaves immediately changed to that of a deep sleep, then flatlined for the last time as his heart simultaneously stopped. The only remaining subject that could speak started screaming to be sealed in now. His brainwaves showed the same flatlines as the one who just died, the commander gave the orders to seal the chamber with both subjects inside, as well as three researchers. What the fuck? (laughs) (laughs) Who would agree to that? (laughs) One of the named three immediately drew his gun, shot the commander point-blank between the eyes, then turned the gun on the mute subject, blew his brains out as well. He pointed the gun at the remaining subject, still restrained to a bed, as the remaining members of the medical and research team fled the room. I will not be locked in here with these things, not with you. Who are, what are you, he demanded. The subject smiled. Have you forgotten so easily, he said. We are you. We are the madness that lurks within you, begging to be freed at every moment in your deepest animal mind. We are what hides from you in bed at night. We are what you sedate into silence and paralysis when you go to a nocturnal heaven where we cannot tread. The researcher paused. Then aimed the, su- the gun at the subject's head and fired, the EEG flatlined as the subject weakly choked out, so nearly free.
1: Oh.
3: oh. Good, isn't it? Thanks, oh. Jen. Oh. <laughs> choked, it did remind me of. That's a creepy plastic. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's
2: absolutely brilliant. That whole thing is fiction. Show of a tangent of fiction. It,
3: in 2004, maybe somebody else will remember this was a call again it was uh the, one of the first the reality big, big, big show was it shattered yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah do you remember that? Yeah. mental what, what did they do they keep they do? people exactly they kept uh i think they managed eight or eight or nine days the yeah. winner managed she won 100 grand but i think the longest anyone has stayed awake for is 11 just under 12 days but the uh, the things that happen to those people are terrible anyway that's uh that's that that's <laughs> horrifying thank you <laughs>
4: just lost another <laughs> five people there, Jen.
2: Thank you. <laughs> or else that's all they came for, I don't know. Who's <laughs> the weirdo here? Um, can I'm, everyone hear all right, yeah? yeah, yeah. Everyone's fine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, as relatively as fine can be after that story. It's horrifying. Yeah, it's disgusting and what a place to tell it. <laughs> <laughs> just testing on people downstairs. Um, so I came across the greats, and I shouldn't be excited about this because people are dead but um, <laughs> I came across a great story. Does anyone remember the episode we did called A Dead Man, A Cipher and A Mystery about yes. the man who was found on, the Somerton man. Yes. Oh,
3: yes. yes.
2: Found just lounging. in Australia? <laughs> it was yes. in Australia. Super fans down there, <laughs> <laughs> super creeps. Um, that's just the tip of the iceberg. Okay. Because it was back in the news. It was, was it back in the yes. news? Okay. Anywhere oh yeah, because they, they think they're gonna be able to identify him. But um, so there is an Irish mystery of the last days of Peter Bergman. Does anybody know this story? Yes. Yeah. So it's a mystery that has baffled the guards for the past decade.
4: Do you wanna say anything about the guards while we're here?
2: <laughs> is anyone here a guard? Have they ever solved a crime? <laughs> genuinely like i've said it once i'll say it again they just can't, they just, they just can't right? unsurprisingly this unsolved crime has baffled the Garney for decades right could i
3: just say agarda uh, retired had left us an itunes review a couple of days ago so just
4: was it good but wait wait fittingly The guard didn't understand the nature of the reviewing process, (laughs) (laughs) and he actually was the guard baffled. (laughs) Guard baffled by iTunes reviewing system. (laughs) (laughs) Instead, he actually left us a story, which was very nice. Oh, it's weird. Was he asking
2: us to solve it?
0: (laughs) 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 Would you cast the eye? (laughs) Um,
2: so anyway, this, the story of Peter Bergman is, it is bizarre, but it's littered with loads of clues, um, so over, loads of. <laughs> there's a map, there's a note, <laughs> it's not even missing, um, but it's about his, his whereabouts over three days in Sligo, and it's all pieced together by CCTV footage. So apparently Sligo is mad for CCTVs <laughs> everywhere. Um, so the first time Peter is noticed on camera is on the 12th of June, 2009. It's a Friday and the footage is in Derry bus station where we first see him. He's a tall, thin man with short gray hair and glasses. He's quite distinct looking because he's quite tall and he's very, very slim. He's wearing a black leather jacket and carrying two black bags. One's a hold all type bag with like a, like a duffel bag thing and one's a laptop type bag. Um, He gets on the 4 p.m. bus to Sligo and we see him arrive in Sligo again on CCTV footage, two hours and 28 minutes later. Now it's really clear that he's unfamiliar with Sligo town because he he arrives into the city center and there's loads of hostels and hotels and stuff around, but he jumps into a taxi and he asks the taxi man to take him somewhere cheap to stay. Um, So the first hotel they went to was full, but then the the taxi man took him to uh, the Sligo City Hotel, which is slightly outside of the city, where once again, they have two CCTV cameras conveniently located at the entryway of the hotel. Um, So we see him arrive and a receptionist checks him in. He gets a single occupancy room with breakfast for the three nights, and he paid in cash for full, was put in room 705. She did not ask him for proof of identity, but the name that he signed in the hotel register was yeah. Peter Bergman. So the hotel camera at the, the hotel CCTV, t- CCTV camera at the reception desk and the one at the front door show that he comes in and out of the hotel really frequently over the course of three days.
3: What do you do with the bin liners?
2: No, these are they're regular mm-hmm. bags. Oh, sorry. Like a duffel bag. Two yeah. you're, you're black kind of bags.
4: She explained it in a really unguarded yeah. corner kind of way. Yeah, yeah.
3: Well, non specific. The, the, <laughs> sus-
4: the suspect was carrying a duffel type laptop bag. And-
2: it was black, we know that for
4: sure. Okay. Um,
2: <laughs> but interestingly, when he's coming in and out of the hotel, every time he leaves, he has this purple plastic bag, like a purple bag for life, unbranded, and it's clearly full of things. Like, it's got stuff in it, but when he returns, he doesn't have the bag, ever. So what's he doing with the stuff? Don't know. Somebody's coming up. It's him! And it's much like like every kind of weird thing about this case, it's unclear about whether he's returning with the plastic bag pocked away in a pocket, or whether he just has a stash of plastic purple bags in his hotel room. <laughs> Again, the guards couldn't solve that one. <laughs> so there's certain things that we know. So he, he was running a lot of errands. It, was kind of, it has the illusion of him running errands. He's not meeting friends. No one in the town seems to know him. He hasn't, he's not getting taxis to go with, You know, off and have dinner with, with people. Um, so it seems like he's running loads of really weird errands, obviously going off and disposing of things. He's dashing runs. in the CCTV. Not dashing, no, he's like, he's, he's, he's a saunterer. <laughs> he smokes, you know, there's, there is, he's caught on the train station having a cappuccino one day. Like he's,
4: yeah. Mm, a a cappuccino, how 2009 of him.
2: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, he goes to the post office on the Saturday and he buys 10 82 cent stamps. And airmail stickers. So back in 2009, it cost 55 cents to post a letter within Ireland and 82 cents for anywhere else in the world. So he's supposedly writing 10 international letters. Whether or not he posts them, we don't know. The Guardian couldn't find them. <laughs> um, but a pattern was beginning to emerge. He was never caught on camera disposing of any property or mailing any letters. Or using a mobile phone or meeting anybody. He was just captured in and out of places. So they think that he was aware of cameras and that he was some sort of maybe ex-police or something that he, you know, he was he was aware that potentially he was being watched. Did he but look
3: he, into the cameras
2: at points? No, he doesn't. And you can see a lot of the footage. There's a short documentary <coughs> called The Last Days of Peter Bergman, and you can see some of the CCTV stuff. Um he did not have access to a car, so nobody thinks mm. that he went too far out of the city. No tax there's one count him getting into a taxi which I'll get to but other than that it's not reported from getting taxis or buses or anything like that um, not one person not one member of the public came and said that they noticed him dumping anything in bins or anything like that so just really really strange on the Sunday which was to be so the Sunday night was his last night in the hotel he got into a taxi outside and he asked the man the taxi driver's name was jared higgins so higgins told the uh, irish times uh he, the passenger was looking for a place to swim so he pointed him to the direction he pointed to strand hill on the map but higgins knew that strand hill was a surfing beach and he suggested instead he go to ross's point Point, um, which had beautiful long sandy beaches his passenger agreed and on higgins's suggestion he sat up front with them he said he was chatty and he asked if there were buses going out to Ross's Beach. He told them that there were about once every hour. So the two of them drive out to Ross's Beach. They have a look around. He doesn't get out of the car. Um, but they're—you know this is on the Sunday evening. They're going scoping out the area or whatever. Um, this sounds like
4: a whole spiel for like just how manageable a nice weekend getaway in Sligo I is. I really like, definitely up for Stayed Ross's in a hotel, point. great value, it's the Sligo City Hotel.
2: I saw pictures of Ross's Point not too dissimilar to La Hinch, like lovely nice beaches, <laughs> looks really There's obviously quiet. a bus route if yeah, you have a mind to the finances. And then if you did want to go down to Strand Hill for a bit of surfing, you're sorted. Just Higgins says he remembers him because he was Austrian, he had a bit of an accent, and he had, remember this detail, prominent gold tooth. Where? where? In his mouth. <laughs> <laughs> Which tooth? I don't know. <laughs> a prominent one. One of the front six, I would say. <laughs> um, and he's Austrian. Oh, You've sorry. just thrown that in, Upper ran right randomly. back of his mouth. So upper right back. can see that. Well he did, he noticed it, right? right back. Like he could have a real wide grin. <laughs> um, yeah, he could have. He seemed happy, right? Um, he said and then Higgins said that he gave him his card if he wanted to go to Ross's Point again and he said he I hear paid it's lovely. him lovely. Okay, he paid him with a fresh twenty euro note. Right? <laughs> the next the next day, the Monday, the day Peter is due to check out of the Sligo City Hotel, he goes down and he asks for an extension or a late checkout because he has some errands to run. <laughs> <laughs> Which he did, he ran his errands. Don't know what they were, but he ran them. Purple bag? Purple bag, in and out. Okay. Well, out, not back in. <laughs> um, he's selling he's something
4: t- illegal. He's thrown his SLIGO.
2: He's getting rid of his worldly he possessions. <laughs> <laughs> when, he, when he checked he out of the bits. hotel, he was wearing a long sleeve, pale blue shirt, a black tank top, dark trousers and his black leather jacket. He was carrying three bags, the hold all bag with the shoulder strap, the, like the duffel bag, backpack, duffel. the laptop looking bags. It's like a square bag.
4: No one's committing to whether that's really a laptop bag. <laughs> Just <laughs> similar Just close similar to a laptop I
2: Um And then the purple plastic bag. He checked out after 1pm. No taxi man picked him up. He got on the bus. So we went to the bus station at 1.32. Um, he no longer had the black duffel bag. Somewhere between the hotel and the bus station, dumped that last black duffel bag. Um, in, the, in, the ca- in the cafe at the bus station, he has his cappuccino. Then he sits and a toasted sandwich. Oh, very nice. <laughs> now, would that
4: be the kind, you know, that when you'd order it, it would come with a little handful of crisps on the side? I think so, <laughs> yeah. That's my face.
2: But you know, when they put it on the tissue? like oh, yeah. and the tissue sticks to the cheese, not <laughs> interested in that, just a side note. Um, he sat down at a table and the cameras pick him up, he ta- he ca- cameras capture him, taking pieces of paper out of his pockets, writing notes and then just leaving them on the table. What did they say? The Summerton. Well, you man. know what? I don't know because the guards didn't find. <laughs> so we've no idea. Similar to the Summerton. Yeah. The summerton man had pieces of paper, had Dead notes in his, in his, his pocket. Beach, we
3: should say. The yeah. Man. So the
2: Somerton man had notes found in his pocket. In like, was it the fifties? Forty-eight. Okay. Nineteen forty-eight. So this is two thousand and nine are you trying to tell us this is connected? This but is I'm a Solerton Man fan. I'm not going to tell you. I'm not going to say anything. Okay. I'm just going okay. to give you the facts. Okay. <laughs> if Ellen Coyne was here, she'd be proud of me. For <laughs> um, so he tore, up the, he tore up the pieces of paper and he left them on the table. Um, then he got the 240 bus to Ross's Point. Now we know he arrived <laughs> at Ross's Point around 3 o'clock. You are so thorough. <laughs>
4: This is so good.
2: Keep going. <laughs> just, I just like a bit of research. I know. <laughs> at 3 p.m. he arrives at Ross's point. And we know this because various witnesses put him on the beach all throughout the day. So we have loads of people who spot him. And he stands out because he's wearing his leather jacket he's and his green neck. He's not be-neck. dressed for the fucking beach. He's not beach? dressed for just the beach. Just like the Somerton man, At all, right? And they see him holding his, his purple plastic bag. Where's so the? Is it a laptop bag? Is it not? With, it, so that's I think it's with, with him, him at that stage, right? It's the whole thing. So he's type walking up and going. down. Yeah. yeah, he's walking up and down awesome. the beach. One witness says he's like walking up with his feet in the water. So he's sauntering. Sauntering. He's having a leisurely time. I think it sounds ideal. <laughs> <laughs> Except for
4: what's about to yeah. happen.
2: Um, so he's he's at, We know that he's at the beach from three p.m. The last sighting of him is at ten to eleven that night so he's at the beach for what like eight, eight hours <laughs> yeah so I mean, the it next drive you to it. the next day <laughs> shortly after 6 a.m arthur Kinsler and his son discover peter brigham's body washed up on the shore he was wearing a navy t-shirt tucked into swimming shorts oh. all the labels of his clothes had been cut off oh <gasps> totally like <gasps> summertime! Oh, oh my god.
3: god why would that be
0: like labels
2: sometimes it's <laughs> really <laughs> <laughs> an annoying
0: scratchy thing. yeah
2: some people uh, yeah. hate labels <laughs> okay it's a sort of a
4: sensitivity thing yeah yeah um
2: yeah. on a rock close by his black v Nep neptune junk- B neck jumper, trousers, hand. socks, and shoes were also found, also with their labels She's removed.
3: Again. She's just brought a whole
2: selection of blankly objects. That's, that's my mother. No hacking. No well
4: that's a bacon fry. That is a top shelf crisp. Yeah.
2: Unless you've got one for everybody in the audience, <laughs> you can shove them not. in, you can have them back in your bag. <laughs> um, So in his pockets were €140 in notes, €9 in coins, um, a packet of tissues, aspirin um, and... Oh yeah, so a a packet of aspirin tablets made by Bayer, which were manufactured in the Czech Republic and distributed in Germany, some plasters and a bar of hotel soap in an unopened blue plastic wrapper that was Now, was that
4: complimentary with his room?
2: But (laughs) not from his room in Sligo. So How it was not weird. made, it was not a brand that was made or stocked in Ireland. So ah. he's come from somewhere, kind of like uh, some of the weirds. There was like the Somerton man was Had an English weird, connection. Yeah, obviously. had English stuff yes. and American stuff, weird yes. things. Um, not found amongst his possessions were the stamps. Were <laughs> 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 well, I, I would assume they would have dissolved in the sea. Um,
3: It'd be like a thousand legs.
2: <laughs> oh, yeah. Salty lips. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and not found were then the laptop bag and the purple bag, which he did have the day before walking on the beach, right? Yeah. Um, so while they didn't ask him for ID... Why did he put his know. T-shirt into his swimming <laughs> shorts? I don't know, Jen. That's questions we need after his T-shirt.
4: Why it? was he carrying cash and aspirin <laughs> in his swimming shorts? <laughs>
2: yeah, I don't know. There's many questions. Um, So he did fill in some details when he was checking into the hotel. He gave an an address for Vienna, Austria, but it turned out to just be a parking lot. Um, It doesn't, like there was absolutely nothing there and there was nobody registered as Peter Bergen. He also spelled his surname with two N's but the usual German German spelling is just with one N. Um, So interestingly, Even though he'd been found washed up on the beach, the pathologist found no sign of saltwater drowning. But... What did they decide he died of? So Peter Bergen had had terminal cancer. And it was so advanced that the the, um, pathologist said there's no way he could have been unaware of his illness. Uh, It had spread to his bones, his chest and his lungs. Uh, he said at the most he would have had weeks to live. But the cause of death was probably, oh, he also had signs of having previous cardiac arrest, but there was no medication in his system. So he hadn't taken any of the aspirin. He (laughs) hadn't been taking any of the...
3: Why would you if you are just wading into the sea?
2: I mean, in the days before, you know, when you're sitting down having Mm. your cappuccino, you might pop one to just... (laughs) Take the edge off. Take the edge (laughs) off, right? Um, (laughs) (laughs) So by the time... The, by the time he was buried, there was only six people at his grave, uh, six people at an unmarked grave in Sligo. Um, one of the six was the undertaker and the other was the man who dug the grave, whose name was Brian. Brian <laughs> <laughs> now, without that a Y or an I? That was with an I, that's the Irish spelling, right? <laughs> um, so while the case is unusual on its own, it bears uncanny resemblance to the Somerton man, right? All right go on. We told this story in an earlier episode, but, Basically, the body of man is found on a Somerton beach about 11 kilometres southwest of Adelaide in Australia in 1948. There were loads of strange occurrences, in- occurrences, including a note found in his pockets written on a scrap from the At. I still didn't learn to pronounce that word in the time since I told that story. Um, and they discovered a cipher, remember? They, yes, found, they found the, the book that the page was written out of, and on the book was like indentations of a cipher. They haven't, to this day, ever solved the cipher. Um, his suitcase, his suitcase was discovered at a train station. So his body found in the beach and his suitcase in train station. In it, all of the labels and his clothes had been cut off and there was other weird things in it, right? As if this wasn't enough, the other day, Lydia and I on a drive were listening to this new podcast called Death in Ice Valley, right? Has anyone started listening to this podcast? Yes. It's, about the, it's about a, um, a woman, the Isadale is it oh, how come Pipe day. <laughs> um. <laughs> So basically, in 1970, the body of, a wom- of an unidentified woman was found in a valley outside of the Norwegian portside town of Bergen. Many of the oddities surrounded this woman's death, including her suitcase being located at a nearby train station. Not enough. In it were wigs, glasses <laughs> and cosmetics, and the labels of all the clothes were removed. And this woman... Had extensive, one, oh, that's, my, that's the end of it. Um, <laughs> this woman had extensive uh, dental work of gold teeth in her mouth. Oh. Mm. Come on!
4: And, <laughs> and she had a face.
2: Oh, come on, there's I so can, many details uh, there. There's it, no... The t- she was also. Off
3: legitimate weird detail i think no, that's the main but thing. the
2: the woman in death and ice valley which is a great podcast i've only listened to one episode so there's probably <coughs> loads of facts that i'm missing out on <coughs> but she there was um burnt paper around all her body as well so like maybe it's a potential Look, premise of people notes are or weird. whatever
3: we've told lots of stories about weird people
2: i think they're all connected <laughs> once in 48 once in the 70s once in 2009 i think they're all spies well, that is
3: something we could get our team to
2: do. They're all spies, easy, so, and we would know. Absolutely not. I think the guards are just all sitting around scratching their arses, being like, "What about that Peter?" Fan? Sorry if anyone's dad. Is I a God guard Help, help man. you
4: should you ever need a guard, Kathy Delaney. <laughs>
2: God, Who are you going <laughs> <call? laughs> to I think a- he
4: was terminally ill, and a great fan of Somerton Man, like a, a Somerton creep. Mm. and he was like
3: an ode to somerton man what am i gonna okay. do with
4: my last few days i'm gonna fuck with some people
2: but no there's too
0: oh, yes,
4: i'm just so going i'm gonna go to a place and behave but erratically why, sorry, and do some fun that, here and this will go no, potentially there's, viral there's, on the internet and be covered by a podcast in years to come here.
2: because somerton man and the is woman are all positioned in like they're all being connected to Germany and Austria at different points in the story as well. There's too much. This man was described as Austrian. Why would you go off to Sligo and dump your worldly possessions there? Is there there like a shame around suicide or
3: euthanasia and they want to kill themselves but do it like anonymously? And you know where there isn't that shame? Yes.
4: Sligo.
2: (laughs) 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 Or
3: closed hands. Yeah, I don't know. Potentially,
2: I'm still going with the classic, spy theory.
3: A classic classic tale of just getting you all revved up and then not finishing off. <laughs> Thank you, Cassie. Blue ball Are Delaney. I want to finish a story of the guards to their job.
4: <laughs> Thank you, Cassie. Thank
3: you.
4: Thank you. Okay. Um, everyone's going kind of their sort of classic creep.
3: You took my bestiality
4: one. Well, that's true, sorry. Um, I. So basically, I've done a regional haunting, Ooh. which is my fave subgenre. So my uh, headline is colicky or creepy?
3: Oh, oh. haunted
4: baby. Run a theme. Um, incidentally, I was going to dress up as a Ouija board. Um, <laughs> tonight. Thank you. <laughs> For you. Mm. But then I spooked myself so hard <laughs> that I decided I couldn't risk it, um, especially here. Yeah, I yeah. actually
2: had a Ouija board story but scared myself so much <laughs> that there was no way I was going to be able to do it in here <laughs> ever. See, this is the
4: venue. I know, like I, I just couldn't risk it. Like I went to The Conjuring a few years ago when I was pregnant and the baby that was inside me then like freaked the fuck out and I had to leave The Conjuring halfway through in the cinema and we were at the cinema with like a whole WhatsApp group of people. I'd set up the WhatsApp. It was like, let's go to The Conjuring WhatsApp and then I had to go outside and read like the Guardian lifestyle supplements (laughs) (laughs) to purge myself. So anyway, colicky or creepy? So, um, I kind of got on to this uh, from, okay, there's been a whole series of baby monitor incidents. Damn. I don't know if there's I'm any so parents, yeah. so baby monitors are inherently creepy because now these days you have the video aspect that is in a kind of a, Haunted it's a haunting it's like, it looks like
2: state. The, the, the nighttime camera thing. It's the kind
4: of, yeah, like the... Night vision goggles, except the baby has like piercing silver <laughs> eyes and it watches you from the monitor. And obviously, your parents, you already feel vaguely haunted and haunted all the time. So, basically, um, there was a case in LA of a young mother um, called Natalie who um, she was looking at her cocoon cam baby monitor, uh, free plug for them, send me a baby <laughs> monitor, guys. Um, to check on her sleeping baby and she noticed a strange pink and purple splotches all around the bassinet that the baby was in and so this monitor worked where the color was supposed to indicate motion but the child was sound asleep completely still and when she looked at the tape again she couldn't figure out um like where the splotches why they'd been set off so anyway, she kind of forgot about it until she came home a few days later and found her husband sitting at the table, obviously distraught, like he was crying at the table. Like the baby's
3: just gone, he's just sitting there crying. crying. <laughs> <laughs>
4: and he showed her a screenshot that he'd taken on the baby monitor that showed a ghostly human figure floating above the ground where the child was. No. And then a few minutes later, a whole family... Of these ghostly shapes were le- leaning over the bassinet. Where was the baby? In the bassinet. But so you you never him wake him. a sleeping baby. <laughs> <laughs> like, these people, that is a hard one sleeping baby. Foolish of me. Yes. You know this. I know. Um, so then, um, there's another one that's really creepy. I actually watched this one, and then was like, "What is life? I'm watching the baby monitor of this family in Brooklyn," and it was basically like a closet door that just swings open unprovoked, like just creepily slowly. I think actually, a slow open it's is so slow creepier, and yeah. like measured. Like, do you know the way if it was like? You know, you'd be like, "Fair." Yes. Yeah. It's, you know, there's like, something. there's something, it's gravity yeah, yeah. or whatever. Fulcrum <laughs> <it> <laughs> science from third year, but this was really slow, like something was like, you know? And then just a baby blanket flopped out, but after the door was open, like, and um, a baby blanket's very light. So, I don't you know, when I was going logic-wise, I was like, I feel a uh, kind of a spirit could lift a baby blanket. <laughs> That's the science of it um, so they replayed the footage and they you know they were checking that yes indeed this was the door opening very slowly and um, they went to the room to check on the baby He's and, gone. <laughs> <He's gone. laughs> and um, everything was fine but they said they couldn't um, they couldn't sleep that night which is like that's saying something they have a newborn like you would sleep, you know. Mm. I drifted off during a smear test <laughs> when I had a very young baby. You know. <laughs>
3: I mean there's no resistance. It's not like you're draining against something. It's like, like entering this <laughs> room.
4: <laughs> <laughs> what did you say? I Three centimetres three three centimeters. Centimeters for life.
2: You. No, she's not here. No. Sorry,
4: it's a crossover with Mother of Pod, anyone who's like, still <laughs> refusing to story. listen to it. It was an appropriate creep type story. So anyway, um, I, after this, got very interested in a regional haunting, as I said, that centred around a baby in Galway, <laughs> a haunting of a Galway baby. Um, so um, then, this was sent to me by Deirdre Sullivan, who is a writer and fan of the pod. And uh, so the Fahey family, this is in the late 90s, and um, they were parents, Jackie and Esther, and their kids, Michael and Martha, and then Martha had just given birth to a baby. Not Michael's. I know we don't need to point that out, but like, there's just something about the way they're all kind of in the house together.
2: You, I'm totally lost. Yeah, we'll start again. Oh, what, what do you mean? We're in, we're
4: in Galway now.
2: Yeah, hold on, who are Michael and Martha? <laughs> <laughs> their They're the kids. i zoned out for a second. Okay, so... Simultaneously, just like, Woo
4: <laughs> Okay, the family home in Galway, and yeah. the parents are Jackie and Esther, so Jackie's a man. Yeah. And then their kids are Michael and Martha. Yeah. They're like in their late 20s, kind of, okay. right? A confusion. And then Martha just had a new baby, Sarah Louise. Ah, oh, lovely. Right, she okay. had a lovely Good baby and the grandparents them. were delighted that she was bringing the baby to their house to live.
3: Were they though? Um, <laughs>
4: <laughs> I know one of my theories was that Jackie and Esther were staging this haunting just to get um, Martha and the baby out. But basically, um, they, uh, when the baby, Sarah Louise, turned eight months, um, there began to be a lot of disturbances in the house and um, started with like loud noises, banging, objects being moved or destroyed, a sudden drops in temperature when you'd walk into different parts of the house. And Something this was freezing. like...
3: I'm freezing in here right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, like, there's happened. so much fire happening, it's
4: weird. Yeah. And it's just not penetrating at all.
2: It's obviously a haunted baby in the room.
4: <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Don't
4: listen to that. <laughs> and uh, so initially they put the disturbances down to building works that were being completed next door what but year soon, are we in 97 all oh, right okay. but soon realized they were dealing with something even more diabolical oh. than oh. the fecking neighbors putting in an extension <laughs> um, so they um <laughs> some of this research comes from um a book called haunted ireland and uh, chapter four, which concerns the uh, Fahi family, and the author's called it Hushabai Baby. Oh. So, um, they'd been living in this house for 25 years in Karab Park. And basically, within the space of a few months, it became like a hell on earth for the family. Um, they um, noticed foul odors. And they started to notice uh, the daubing of shite on the walls which is a like an underreported but known common, common poltergeist activity.
3: Common just common. Just common. H block
4: Child in the house. Um, there was um, also the appearance of crushed eggshells that nobody could account for. So they were just eggshells in the carpet. That for a while they were like, oh, we think the eggshells must be something to do with the building. But then the family discovered that eggshells were always uh, the building next door. Sorry,
3: built out of eggshells. I don't but know. Like, like they, they were, were building, disturbing yeah, eggshells, like and it was scattering,
4: or, or
2: but maybe it was would look like plaster. It's the late
4: nineties. Maybe there was some kind of grant going at the time. <laughs> if you insulated with eggshells. I don't know. Um, So anyway, then they discovered that eggshells were apparently always a sign of a curse. Um, And if you wanted to curse your neighbour's crop, um, you would go onto their land and pierce an egg, stick it in a bush, and then you'd go off and be like... (laughs) (laughs) And then by the time the egg would go rotten, the neighbour's crops would be fucked. So. Um, initially they didn't, because I guess of the presence of a newborn, think that much of all the foul odours and loud noises and screaming in the night and things like that. And uh, then they um, started to have kind of more things, kind of like a bit of tapping. You oh. like tapping, Cassie, don't you? And um, objects, um, electrical appliances started getting fucked with and turning off of their own account and then uh, flushing of toilets. Which is kind of whimsical I think that's a whimsical poltergeist and um, they also um, sorry there was one evening that was um, a bit unnerving when so Michael and his wife basically the whole family were rammed into this house it's very kind of very now actually that everyone's <laughs> still living in the house so Michael and his wife had gone out um, and they came back and found that the baby was being minded by one of the neighbours. And this was not a part of the plan. And the uh, the minder said that Martha, the baby's mother, had run out of the house screaming, just ran screaming into the night, leaving the baby, which again is very
3: normal
4: new mother (laughs) behaviour.
3: The neighbour had seen her running away and thought, she's left a baby in the
4: house. Yes, yes. Yeah. So Martha had been inside the house watching TV when she heard the sound of thumping from her daughter's room and when she ran upstairs, she found she couldn't open the door as the noises continued inside and after many failed attempts of trying to get into the room, she, she ran, up and ran screaming, out. just right. out the book. and uh, no, she found the neighbour and um, they uh, helped her and stuff like that. But basically, yeah, she wasn't. I think she was coming back with the... She'd found someone to mind, the baby. She's gone to get help from a neighbour. You know, it was fucking chaos. Basically, she ran out of the house Sweet. with the baby trapped in a room upstairs and thumping noises coming from within. And
2: uh, I don't like this when story. they came
4: back to the house,
2: <laughs>
4: the house was just freezing cold and they'd gotten the doors of the baby's room open, but the re- the room was... Freezing, and there was like a dolorous atmosphere in this room where of like <laughs> <laughs> um, so anyway, and like during this point, Jackie and Esther had been trying to go for a holiday in Waterford, and like <laughs> fucking all their grown-up children that presumably they were trying to escape arrived in Waterford, like <laughs> virtually in the middle of the night, and we're like, We're not fucking going back to that house. And um, so then um, they had what? Oh yeah! One night the whole family were like um, woken up at three thirty a.m. The same as the. Oh. And we all know that three thirty-three oh. mm-hmm. is the mockery of the Holy Trinity and a very sinister time um, of night. So it's close enough to it. Um, so they. <laughs> 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 we all so have different attitudes to facts. Okay, like. <laughs> I'm more just down the middle here. So anyway, they gathered downstairs. Now, they, the, all the adults gathered downstairs and then they heard the baby crying and they were like, oh yeah, the baby. <laughs> and they went up to find her in her room with um, all her toys and teddies arranged in a circle oh around my God, the no. cot.
3: Oh. And she was in the cot.
4: Uh huh. As the author points out, not the work of an eight-month-old baby. (laughs) Mm. So the Fahis did the kind of obvious thing that any Irish family would do. And they said, we need to get a mass in here and we need to get a mass now. Now, they started having like a lot of masses, basically. (laughs) Um, But nothing was kind of curbing the crazy uh, shit that was going on. They had pictures. Uh, coming off the walls and hovering in front of the walls where they had been hanging.
3: What? <laughs> like you
2: just walk in and it would just be...
4: It would lift from its place on the wall. It this is Michael...
2: It to phase you, doesn't it? <laughs> I
4: just need... Waiting. Okay, this is Michael's wife, Mary, and she said, a silver <laughs> picture frame lifted from its place, hovered in front of me before smashing into the fireplace. Um, Michael so said he saw a table thing again. It's, it's a very, very slow convincing one. ghost. It's like it's pause. deliberate movements. Boom. It's not just so
2: far, falling. can I
3: just ask, who has witnessed this madness? Anybody outside the family?
4: Well, Mary's kinda married in. Do you know the way an in law would stay an outsider forever?
3: <laughs> That's true, but she was, yeah. she is a witness. Yeah. Everyone's in agreement, they've checked
4: well, the Well, no, no, here's the, the priests agree oh, yeah. that it's terrible, it's terrible. The feeling in the house was just terrible, yeah. says one of the priests. <laughs> <laughs> then they got a few other different priests. They, got, they went through millions of priests oh, and exactly. um, they couldn't uh, get on top of this issue. And then, sorry, they um, actually started to get a lot of um, media attention and I actually listened to a brilliant vintage Morning Ireland interview (laughs) with Michael Fahey, the son of the house, and it was... um, (laughs) I've got so many notes, I'm like, where am I? Um, And it was uh, this reporter, Richard Crowley, talking to um, Michael Fahey after the disturbances had calmed down. So basically, I don't know if this is exactly it, but I want to believe that Nationwide went down there And that, basically, it took the intervention of, um, you know, Our Lady, Mary Kennedy, (laughs) to resolve this issue. So, they interviewed Esther, um, again, probably not nationwide, but I want to go with it, on Nationwide. And she was so distraught. And they were basically talking about everything the family had been experiencing. And um, luckily, Esther was on TV, and a woman called Sandra Ramdani, a psychologist.
3: Right, better than a magician.
4: High priestess.
2: <laughs> high, priest- high priestess. Psych- slash <laughs> high priestess.
4: Psych- she was an original hyphenate, you know, the kind of her yeah, yeah, side of hustle. Hyphenate. Yeah, psychologist, high priestess, of what? and parapsychic Hayden. investigator.
2: <laughs> oh, my God, amazing. So many.
4: So many. So like science, No, she said paganism. that they all they all worked together. I can see that. So she wasn't a traditional exorcist. She believed in applying her psychology training to spirits and ghosts. Oh come on.
0: That's right, Jen
4: so she went to visit the family believing that she could help and she was finding it difficult to get access to the family but um, a ju- helpful journalist who was hanging around out front Mary Gandhi was like <laughs> get we'll get you in we'll get you in so she went into a heightened state of psychic sensitivity through meditation um, that's right do <laughs> I want to know a little more about again. Sandra Randami? Well, She's she's half Irish, half Indian in Ireland, in Ireland. Yeah. And um, she has always known she was different. Her when her father was a student in the Royal College of Surgeons. He used to have his friends over for like study sessions. And at the age of two, apparently, she would know the answers to many of the questions that they were debating and and learning.
3: Suggesting she lifted them from their minds.
4: (laughs) Um, Well, she said at the time to toddler um, that she had memories of a past life where her name was Dr. Wu. Oh. And wait for it. That's a great it transpires memory. that Wu was a very famous family of exorcists in ancient China. So, case closed. Case <laughs> closed. Okay, so back to Sandra going into the house. So she began to tune into the entity at the Fahi residence. Quote, I rambled around the house. She was a rambler rather than a saunter mm. um, and there were spots more where I felt more spirit energy than in others, but I could sense that the spirit was a baby. It never um, appeared to me to tell me things, but I was shown a series of images in her mind. (laughs) (laughs) This is something that Richard Crowley on Morning Ireland had a lot of issue with during that interview. If you feel like going into the RTD archives, it's great. Because Michael Crowley is saying things like, and I saw the baby on the floor. and Richard Crowley's going, you saw it? And Michael's like, yes, in my mind. <laughs> <laughs> and my eyes were closed. And I can, Richard Crowley's like, oh. <laughs> we're the fucking researcher for this segment. Um, so anyway, she saw images of um, a, a room, a dark, smoky room with an earth floor and the image of a girl giving birth, screaming, and a man in the shadows behind, who Sandra sensed was the father. Of the baby, just standing. (laughs) He was holding the tens machine, just (laughs) clicking. And she's like, "I can do a terrifying reenactment of this, like literally." Okay. Um, (laughs) And so then, right? She said that she knew that the girl giving birth was a young novice, and that the man in the shadows was a man of the cloth, and that he was wearing the red robes a bishop. Oh.
3: Oh, father. Your and father kick
4: him up the bishop Brennan. <laughs> bishop bishop Brennan. Brennan, yeah. And Bishop Brennan seized the child in Sandra's mind, <laughs> and she saw him smother the child. Oh! And the mother, the novice nun, was screaming on this floor. Look. So it transpires when they talk to some neighbours, and um, that the. Um, housing estate, Corib Park, was actually built on the Irish equivalent of an Indian burial ground.
2: <laughs> a mass grave it was a fucking, no, it was no. the
4: site of this, um, yeah, this birth apparently of, well, they believe that, of a nun who had been knocked up by Father Bishop. So, so the, story
2: the story was... Covered. Yeah,
4: yeah. No, they were, Now I think though people were getting a bit excited in the surrounding neighbourhood,
2: so well, without, I'm not, they, say, did they, did she's they, trying to fucking bend me uh, over. And did I'm they like, validate oh yeah. the story, so did, did simultaneously someone tell them the story or did they come up with this vision mind story first? The vision they,
4: mind story happened first and then people in the that. vicinity said yeah that they'd kind of heard rumours of this kind of okay. thing. So basically Ram, Dan, Ram Danny said that um, when Martha brought baby Sarah Louise home into the house, it kind of um, provoked the uh, spirit baby, jealous. who became very jealous and wanted Martha to become its mother. Its mother. Mm-hmm. It was almost like a sibling rivalry situation. Mm. Yeah. So then what they did basically as a family, Got rid of the baby. they said, get get it out. <laughs> did anyone re- How do we really feel about Sarah Louise? I mean, I guess spirit baby seems more manageable than a real baby.
2: Barely know her.
4: <laughs> I mean, someone's like, she's kind of growing up and they're shut up, Michael, shut up. Um, so anyway, basically they um, did a family kind of seance where they all got in a circle and um, ran Dami said, get, get Sarah Louise out of here. So they farmed her off somewhere else. And then the mum and the dad, the brother, the old uh, wife in law, don't know how long she'd been kind of in the family yet, but she was gone for she's it. Now was in a it? She's just like She just had her eye on the prize, though. She was like, this is a decent piece of property. I don't care if it's built <laughs> on an Irish Indian burial ground. So anyway, they went around in a circle. And uh, this is the bit that uh, Michael Fahey uh, told on Morning Ireland that uh, you can still listen to. It's great. And uh, <laughs> they had. Um, martha sit in the center of the family seance circle cradling a fake baby yeah Oh, oh just the spirit oh, baby. Though, so they said you know basically sandra was like <laughs> love the spirit baby reassure the spirit baby and then
3: breastfeed the spirit if you could lactate
4: into the spirit baby and so then she had the whole family picture this kind of golden light and michael saw in his mind in his mind a kind of golden entity kind of around martha and then sandra was kind of saying reassuring things and then michael saw that entity leave uh, via the ceiling of the room that they were in through. just straight through yeah,
3: but now baby's in the attic lost <laughs> <laughs> so I didn't get that far Far
4: enough. Far enough, but there was never any more disturbances well, in Carb Park. Good,
3: well, glad for the bodies. Another lit candle for them
0: now. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. The and
4: guys. Sarah Louise is like maybe a fan of the Creep Dive for all we know. Oh, yeah, like she she's much. about twenty-two she's... now. Oh God. She could be here, what and be she could... <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so. Thank you very much. Thank you. And thank
2: you, all. <laughs> thank you for
4: coming. Thank you all for coming. Thank you so much.